Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guests. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. Many of us get financially stuck and can't seem to get unstuck. By taking baby steps and getting support, I was able to establish new financial habits. Fresh Start 2021 is a 28-day financial reset. I invite you to join us to clear out old money beliefs that are holding you back and create a new successful money mindset. Challenge your money worries and let's get financially fit in February. We have created daily activities to expand your mind and your monetary skills with easy, engaging tips and techniques. Dare to dream. Build a financial frame of mind and grow your money with care. Join us for the month of February on your favorite social media platform. Well, I am excited today because we have the ladies from Dow Jane's uh, as our guests this week. Dow Jane's is a financial education company that exists to get people who identify as women in control of their money. Their belief is that people who identify as women in control of their money um, should have more choice and louder voices. And they're on a mission to build the financial confidence of those folks around the world. Lori Ann King, CEO, uh, is a financial coach and serial entrepreneur, which is better than a serial killer most of the time. Um, <laughs> she runs two seven-figure companies as a self-made businesswoman. She knows what it takes to ensure financial success is possible for anyone. Her holistic approach blends financial education with empowerment coaching coaching as she helps women rewrite their money relationships and design their personalized paths to financial freedom. Lorianne has inspired thousands of people who identify as women to live with more money, power, and peace of mind. Britt Williams-Baker is the COO. She is a Harvard Business School graduate, expert investor, and money mindset coach. And I love money mindset, so we'll talk about that. She is on a mission to serve those who have been traditionally been left out of the financial world, and she does so by bringing a step-by-step approach to saving and investing. She has helped hundreds of people who identify as a woman pay off debts fast, setting up long-lasting money systems, and invest for the first time. Britt believes everyone deserves the confidence, clarity, and peace of mind that comes with having your finances handled. Well, I'm excited. We have two amazing resources here, and I'm I'm really, really happy to have you here. Welcome. Thanks, Bob. We're really happy to be here. <laughs> so I'm going to start off where we always start off is with our childhood. Um, I'm curious about, for both of you, did you grow up uh, the rich kid, the poor kid, middle class? Did you come from privilege? Like, what was it growing up, and what do you remember about money as a child? Hmm. Great question. So for myself, um, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. My mom was the primary breadwinner. She was a nurse and supported a family of five on a nurse's salary. And um, so, you know, my family was pretty thrifty. Like we bought most of our clothes at a secondhand store or really really like low cost stores. We never had brand name stuff, which I, the thing I remember like uh, from that, the most about being is when these Adidas tearaway pants were so popular and uh, 
my mom got us like a knockoff version that only had the two stripes <laughs> instead of the three <laughs> Adidas stripes. And it was like, you know, at like age nine, you know, all of my classmates knew those weren't real Adidas pants. Wow. And wow. so, it, you know, that's kind of the the general tone, I would say, of my childhood is that we had enough, but we didn't have a lot left over. And then when I was 13, both of my parents got quite sick quite suddenly. My father had a heart attack. And a few months later, my mom had a stroke. And so they were out of work for a long time. And I grew up in Canada. So I'm very grateful that you know we had free healthcare when this happened. I think if this had happened living in America, it could have completely devastated my family. Yeah. Um, it still had a really big financial impact. And we ended up needing to sell the home that my dad had built with his hands and moving into my grandmother's house. And so there, you know, there was some instability and uncertainty because of how money impacted our, our life when I was growing up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a different story with money. I grew up with um, a decent amount of privilege, but what was funny about it is that my parents didn't let on that we had money. So we only bought clothing at thrift stores or sec- like Ross and TJ Maxx. Like we never went to nice stores for clothes. And so they had us believe that we didn't have a lot of money almost to like create this really this appreciation of money instead. So while I'm aware of my privilege, we never were worried about food or where we we're going to live and always had whatever we wanted. They didn't spoil us. Yeah. And so we were, I would actually, I remember being awake one night worrying about needing to give my piggy bank money to my parents. Like I worried about wow. money as a kid, um, even growing up with the privilege that I did. You, you also grew up in a, like a community that was very wealthy. And so I don't know like how your family stacked up relative to like the, like your classmates and things like that. But from stories I'm remembering you telling me, it's like, you know, like there were like celebrities kids in your class and things like that, that it was like, even with your privilege, you probably were the most privileged person in the, in the classroom. It's all relative. It's all relative. Yeah, absolutely. Do either of you have any memories of like losing the milk money or, Go into the store and like, or making a mistake, or or your parents are like, that was like, how could you do that? Or just your own thing, you know, yeah. uh, something like that. Uh, any money stories as a kid? My most memorable money story is I um I got my driver's license at age fifteen, and because it, it's an I grew up in Idaho where kids like drive tractors from a young. Age. I'm from Tennessee. I hear you. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I hit a car. And I could have easily just driven away, but I went inside the store and asked whose car it was and found the person and told them that I hit their car and ended up having to pay like $500 to fix it. And I told my dad about it and he said, I'll pay for it because you were honest. And it was that was such a big amount of money to me at that age. And it just really instilled this idea of integrity around both money and life. That's awesome. Honesty pays. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have lots of different money memories, but one that you kind of like spoke to exactly was, I remember losing my first wallet 
and there were 20 whole dollars in that wallet and you know i'm i must be like six or seven and i think it had been christmas time and myself and my cousins we'd all gotten wallets with some money in them for christmas and gone to mcdonald's to spend (laughs) to spend our money and I lost my wallet and I couldn't buy anything at McDonald's. And I, I still remember that feeling of like the floor falling out from under me in like, yeah, it might've been my first experience of loss wow. to be honest. Yeah. Like that feeling of like how bad it feels to lose money. Um, yeah, it was, it was potent. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever find it or it was just never, never found it. I never uh, found it and to this day. I lose things and never find them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you established a habit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. A pattern. Not, I don't lose money anymore. All right. but that's good. <laughs> I lose items sometimes. <laughs> as as a kid, when you were seven, eight, or nine, did either of you ever borrow any money out of your mom's purse or your dad's wallet? Mm-mm, no. Mm-mm. I had I had a brief shoplifting uh, like stint when I was young in high school and like it was a group of girls and this is like it it like became normal in this little group of girls and I um, was at a in Canada the store is called Shoppers Drug Mart it's like a CVS and my mom was parked waiting for me so she's parked literally looking into the store where the cash registers are and I tried to steal lip gloss and the alarms go off and the cashier (laughs) is like, do you have anything in your pockets? And I was like, Oh no. And I don't know why, but I didn't just go put it back. I like tried to leave again (laughs) with the stolen goods, the lip gloss and the alarms go off again. And she's like, are you sure you don't have anything in your pocket? And so I hand it to her and I'm so scared. And I just say, I will never return to your store. And like, I walk out before she could do anything else. And my mom has been sitting oh, there no. watching this entire thing unfold from the car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, needless to say, that was the last time I ever stole anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I never went back to that store. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's, I think I stole a piece of gum when I was like six. And I was so sick to my stomach. I, like my friend was like, yeah, we'll take a couple of candies. And I, I yeah, I, I was physically ill. I was so uh, traumatized from the theft. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a good thief. I might do other things well, but. Uh, did you, did you end up keeping it or did you take it back? No, I kept it, but that, no, I kept it. I probably chewed it <laughs> and spit it out, but it was not enjoyable. At, on any yeah. level, it was, yeah, because we were just really taught, like, you don't do that. And um, yeah. I was one of those kids that took everything to heart. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I felt like an extreme criminal uh, serving 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did either of you get an allowance? You know, Britt, you mentioned that you had mm-hmm. a piggy yes. bank. Yeah, we got an allowance and it was pretty small. It was um, $2 a week. And so I remember we really had to save up to do anything that we wanted. And it eventually grew to $5 a week, but I don't think it was much beyond that. We were encouraged to work. Mm -hmm. So if we wanted money, we could get jobs. So I remember one of my first jobs, babysitting, obviously. I babysat every kid I could find. 
But I also worked, my parents still give me a hard time about this, but I worked doing laundry for a property um, management company. Mm -hmm. And I would spend all day in the laundry room just doing batches of sheets and towels. Wow. How old were you? I was um, probably like 12 before you could get a real job. It was a family friend who ran the property management company. Wow. And I had a disc man that I brought with me and listened to David Gray on repeat. <laughs> Hardly felt like work at all. I'm there sure. you go. Just got to get through the rinse cycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I got I got an allowance, um, but my memories of getting it are that like sometimes we would get it and sometimes we wouldn't. Yeah. And then I remember it kind of stopping altogether. And so it wasn't like this like reliable thing we were definitely going to get every time. Um, and we similarly were encouraged to work. I got, I mean, I, yeah, like raked leaves and was a babysitter when I was young, but then I started working in a grocery store when I was 13, which was legal. And, um, and my sister worked at a different grocery store. So we worked at these competing <laughs> grocery stores in town. And after a year at the store I started with, I ended up leaving and going to work at the store my sister worked at because it paid an extra 35 cents an hour. Wow. And I was like, oh, wow. That's, I got to get over there. <laughs> so I started to learn about the time value of money. <laughs> it's not bad. An extra two bucks a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It worked. Worked out. Now, did when yeah. you were both young, uh, did you want to be an astronaut? Did you want to be like what did you want to be when you grow up? Grew up? Did you want to be financial planners and educators on financial literacy? Um, did you want to be a roller skater? No. <laughs> I really wanted to be the first woman president of the U.S. Cool. Which is funny because I have zero interest in politics today. <laughs> Yeah, but don't count her out, folks. Don't count her out. <laughs> 2024. 2024. <laughs> I'm seeing a later stage life experience, but it's very possible. Yeah. Very possible. <laughs> I would vote for her. I'll say. Uh, I had less political ambitions. I, I went through a period of wanting to be a massage therapist. I think just because my mom used to trick me into massaging her feet by telling me I was really good at it. So... <laughs> I took that to heart. And, um, but I always wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. You know, I also went through a time of, of wanting to be a psychiatrist and really helping people. Like I didn't exactly understand what that meant at that age, but it was like, Oh, a doctor that helps people with their mind. And I, you know, I always have wanted to help people be happier. Mm-hmm. And as you were growing up, uh, as women who I, you know, as persons that identify as women, did you notice anything about gender playing a role in any of your financial decision-making or in your goals that you aspired for? Mm. I feel like luckily I didn't. My parents were very equitable uh, between me and my brother. I had a younger brother and they just, everything was always, you know, whatever they taught my brother or shared with my brother, they did the same for me. And they were great at that. So I always felt like I had equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I feel pretty similarly. Um, I think it's partially a function of, you know, my, my mom was the primary breadwinner and my dad stayed at home and raised the children, which 
both at the time and where I grew up was not the norm. You know, he's like the only dad taking his kids to piano lessons. (laughs) And, um, and so I'm, I'm sure that through that type of upbringing, it was instilled in me that like, I can do whatever I want to do. Um, so I don't remember like any young experiences that way or limitations on my goals from that. But certainly as a, as a, an adult, I've had experiences where I felt like left out of a conversation that affected my finances because I wasn't consulted or, um, you know, being in a meeting with my husband and someone who's talking to us about our financial life. But when I say talking to us, really talking to him or, um, you know, I've had experiences like that later in life. When you experience something like that, where they're talking to your husband, do you, I mean, maybe you do now, maybe you don't, but do you call people out on that or, you know, in a kind way of just that guy, Hey, I noticed you suddenly are only talking over here. (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't, I've never called that out specifically. Mm -hmm. And I think I actually was um, ignorant of it even happening right. for a while. Yeah, I'm I'm someone who is so I'm so um, enrolled in this idea that the of the power of an individual yeah. that like we really have what it takes to create whatever it is that we want. That for a long time I avoided looking at some of the systemic yeah. issues and broader things that were impacting me. And so I think it's, you know, it's probably happened in times when one, I just didn't even realize it was happening. And then I've also gotten pretty good at inserting myself into those conversations. So, you know, maybe it'll start that way now, but it doesn't end that way. (laughs) That's great. Well, you know, and you're also Canadian, so you're going to be extra nice. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe yeah. apologize for their behavior. It's a little counterculture. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so sorry that you've been leaving me out of the conversation. <laughs> uh, so um, I wanted to share some facts about people who identify as women. Um, that um, This is from early 20s money, but I, I've... I've seen these statistics slightly different in many different places, and I, I just wanted to read them, and I, I want to talk about them um, because I think a lot of people would be shocked when you actually hear the real numbers. So uh, here are just a few. Average American woman has roughly a third as much retirement savings as a man does. American women are 80% more likely to be in poverty after retirement than men. of women said they would rather talk about death than money. Women owe two-thirds of all student debt in America, even though they make up 56% of college graduates. 24% of federal politicians worldwide are women. Uh, 2024 uh, for Brit. Less than 6% of Fortune 500 companies have female CEOs. Access to childcare has been proven to increase the amount of working mothers. And I think, you know, it's for me, the biggest statistic uh, that is concerning is this um, 80% are more likely to be in poverty uh, because retirement's our last hurrah. I mean, hopefully it goes on for a long time, but those are the final stages. And that's, and I've had this happen with some of my uh, clients, these women who, don't have the financial uh, savings and and abilities, and and then they find themselves in a really really hard place as they live out the final years. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's um, thank you for sharing those stats and, and just sharing those with your listeners, because I think a lot of people are generally aware that women don't earn as much income as men, but often aren't aware of the actual details and the different, the different ways that the disparity exists. And, you know, well, like this is a question we are very interested in as people who primarily support women and people who identify as women with their finances. And so we've, we've been like, okay, why, why do these huge gaps exist? And more specifically, the question that we've been trying to answer at Dow Jeans is why do women not build wealth at the same rate as men? Mm-hmm. Because we're living in a time where the opportunities for women have never been better, right? Like there's, there's still room for improvement for sure, but this is the best it's ever been for women and their financial potential. We can have the types of jobs we want. We, I mean, it wasn't even until I think 1974 that a woman could get a credit card without a man (laughs) being present to co-sign with her. That is not very long ago. Not very long. in in your life in people's lifetimes this was the case so we've made a bunch of progress but there is still this gap in um in the gender differences between building wealth and so a lot of those stats that you read are like here's there's some causes in there and there's some outcomes in there and one stat you didn't read that um is quite staggering to Brit and I is that women are five times more likely than men to live paycheck to paycheck. Wow. And that is something that gets, that makes it so hard to get ahead and is one of the major factors that also has women invest later in life and less frequently. And, um, you know, investing is a primary way of building wealth. It's getting your money to work for you. And so that's a, a big factor in why women are nearly twice as likely to be in um, poverty when they retire is because they haven't been investing money along the way to allow that money to grow passively and compound for them. So that's that's really a point that we really try to work on is um, because when, when Dow Jeans first started, it started as an investment club in Brit's living room. <laughs> and she um, she had graduated from Harvard Business School. She'd grown up with this great financial literacy from her from her family she'd been investing since she was a nine-year-old right like she (laughs) understands this world and had a bunch of friends who were like hey can you show me how to invest can you teach me how to invest and so she started this investment club and a a lot of um women came who were interested in learning how to invest and then when their financial situation was revealed like oh they weren't in any sort of position to invest and so we realized oh we have to start this conversation much earlier and be teaching people some of the fundamentals to get their money right side up so that they can invest and and build wealth. And there really isn't a lot of resources available for people to figure out that part of the equation. You know, there's like no shortage of financial planners and advisors who will take your money and invest it for you and help you grow it. But if you don't know how to get to that stage, you know, people feel very alone um, and often ashamed because they think, oh, I'm supposed to know this right. or I'm I'm behind. Everyone else has figured this out and I haven't. And um, yeah, we did we did a survey of our our subscribers, which is, I don't know, we have like 40,000 people who follow us on our email list. And we did a survey and the number one 
feeling they had when they looked at their bank account was sadness. Wow. They're sad. Like they're sad and alone. And it, it breaks our heart because we think that life is hard enough. Yeah. Like there are challenging things that we cannot avoid in life that your finances doesn't have to be one of those things that's hard. Yeah. It is like, it is so possible to have peace in that area of your life. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I want to touch on something you, you touched on it. Um, you talked about not knowing about the systemic piece, uh, when, when mm-hmm. people were talking. And I, I, I bring this up because I think it's so important for, uh, anybody out there, but especially people who identify as women that it's not personal, like, right. Oh, I can't get ahead. Um, this is happening to me and I feel like a victim. Mm-hmm. If we don't bring in the piece, the systemic piece that the cause and that the system is set up for failure and that you have to work against it, you can drive yourself crazy thinking it's you. And it's to yeah, me, yeah. it's so important that we recognize, uh, these systemic, um, institutions that like have 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 really held people back and it's not the individual's fault yes yeah one of the big things we say is the deck has been stacked against us and just knowing that that you know you're not behind because you did anything wrong you're behind because no one gave you this education because parents are more likely to talk to their sons about money than they are their daughters yeah yeah and it and it's, it's it's both you know in in our our assessment of what we see going on from working with the hundreds of women women that we've worked with is it's um it's both the systemic forces at play where the end result of that is basically that women are asked to do more with less money yeah right so we're more likely to take care of dependents um to take care of aging parents things like that and less likely to earn equal pay. So we're asked to like go further with less money yeah, and less likely to be given the education on how to do that. Uh, and the biggest place, like, you know, there's, there've been many studies done on gaps in financial literacy and women consistently score lower on financial literacy tests than men do. And the biggest gap comes on questions about growing wealth, about investing or compound interest or things like that. And so without, without access to that education, um, it's just like you, you've been in a losing battle, you know, and, and you, and it leaves so many people in survival mode. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting as you were sharing that, I was thinking about the fact in my own family and we've talked about this, um, you know, my sister's, from my parents' perspective, we're going to college to get their MRS. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was going to college to be a success. And so um, there was a little bit of anger projected my way, understandably, by my two older sisters because they were discounted off, like just from the start. Like it was just going to be a yes. waste of resource. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think about my two grandmothers who were probably a little angry um, because they were very, very smart women. Uh, my grandmother, her job was to take care of her younger two twin brothers. Like that was, there's no room for education. You have to just take care and be a nurturer. And 
I would imagine, I mean, I know it's gotten so much better, but I can imagine the frustration of having ability, having skill set, and then actually just being denied because of gender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that type of conditioning, um, you know, that happens when we're young or state, it's like, it's like in the background fabric yeah. of our lives and impacts people in ways that, that they don't even realize. Yeah. Right. And one of the other factors that is impacting women financially and is um, one of the factors in why we're paid less is that we're much less likely to negotiate or to ask for a raise or to advocate for ourselves. So women are, are much more likely to underestimate themselves. Mm-hmm. And going back to what I was um, saying about the gender gap in the financial literacy, they actually found that when they removed the from the multiple choice questions about investing and in compound interest, when they removed the answer, uh, I don't know, as one of the options, the financial literacy comes almost on par. Wow! And so it's actually women know more than they think they do, but don't trust that knowing. Wow! And we, we work all frequently with women who actually have built up savings and they've just had it sitting in their savings because they think they don't know how to invest it or they're scared to take the next step. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just really that we often know more than we think we do. Uh, and especially when it comes to investing, which I know I'm talking a lot about, but it, it really is the access to building wealth when you're able to decouple your time and your money and your money can grow passively for you. And um, they have also, studies have also found that women are better investors on average, get better returns than men do. And so it's like, we underestimate ourselves. We avoid doing this thing that we're actually really good at. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to get more women out there investing and, and getting into their power. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So to take it back to the personal um, for both of you, what was your biggest challenge, fear or roadblock? on your path? Uh, for myself, so I I fell into the category of women who made good money but didn't know how to manage it. So I, I felt like I, I did the right thing that society taught me to do, which is I worked hard, I got into a good school, I got a good job out of college, and I was making, you know, like as a college grad, I made as much money as my mom did at like the peak of her career as a, as a nurse. And so I was like, okay, like I've, I've done the thing there is to do, but I didn't know how to take care of that money at all. And so after working like 60, 80 hour weeks for a couple of years in this job, I had very little left to show for it financially. In fact, what I had was some credit card debt, <laughs> some student loan debt. That's what I had at the end of it. And um, for me, that was uh, like kind of normal, right? Like I didn't know it should be different. Yeah. I thought it was normal to kind of have this chronic background worry yeah. about money yeah. and to not really know how much I had or where it needed to be. You know, that was just like how I, how I did it, yeah. how I moneyed. Yeah. And, uh, it wasn't really until I got engaged and my husband and I combined finances that that really brought to light a lot of my unhelpful 
patterns and associations with money. And so my husband comes from a family of financial planners. His father's <laughs> a financial planner. His father was a financial planner. Both his brothers work in finance. He, my husband is a registered investment advisor. It's like finance family on steroids. No escaping it. And no escaping it. Like, you know, in my house growing up, we don't talk about money. In, in his family's house, we're at the dinner table. All we talk about is money. You know, it's like totally a, like just a fire hose for me yeah. of, okay, I, I'm going to learn how to talk about money because that's what these people talk about. And so anyway, combining our finances created a lot of friction in our marriage. And we would fight about money um, because we didn't have systems in place for managing it. And it had always worked for my husband to not have a system because he had really healthy money habits. So he didn't like need a really detailed budget or anything like that. But with my very loose relationship to money, it caused a lot of tension. And so figuring out how to do that as a couple um, and also do my own inner work with money and reprogramming my relationship and getting new habits, that was definitely the... like most difficult that it was for me. It was when I really started seeing the problems in my, in my financial patterns and then learning how to change them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, there's one thing we talk about in our, with our group is that there's, um, there's pretty much two categories of people. There's either the overspenders or the underspenders. And you might not think that underspending is a problem, but there is a subset of that population with a scarcity mindset. And that is the roadblock I've been trying to overcome my entire life. So it started, you know, when I was in my bunk bed offering my parents the piggy bank (laughs) and it has continued of this feeling of there's never enough. And we see this with our members a lot. You know, they aren't just overspending. Like some of them just don't know how to have a good relationship with money. And what we believe is that money should be a tool in your life. Money should help you enable enable you to live the life that you want and make choices uh, that support you and your values. And that has been my challenge is getting from, you know, I had grandparents who grew up in the depression era and just taught me to save my money. And that was the only answer was to save. And I'm now opening up into this world of save and <laughs> live out your values and right. use money in a way that... Um, you know, even giving it away in ways that really support your values is a way to have a healthier relationship with money. So that has been my challenge that I've been working through. Mm. As you know, as you're sharing all of this, I'm reminded I, I did a I did a workshop that turned out being a woman's workshop um, in Portland uh, three or four years ago, and a, a lot of several of the women were. Uh, living on the fringe, living enough to be able to get health care and certain things and certain benefits. And they wanted to have a better relationship with money, right? They were like, we want to have more money, uh, but we can't have too much because then we have to pay taxes and then we're going to lose this and that. And and so one of the things that was really interesting to me was even when we talked about what are our goals, everybody was like, you go first, you go first. And nobody mm-hmm. wanted to step into that. And at one point, somebody said, oh, that's Portland we have a different money mindset than the rest of the world or people living on the fringe. And I wonder if, if that resonates with you in any way, if you've heard that kind of thing before, because that's going to get in the way of having more success. If I have to keep my income limited 
uh, mm-hmm. to get my benefits. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, um, uh, it's not the first time we've heard an anecdote like that. Uh-huh. And it's, it's a little bit of, of the fault of how the system functions, mm-hmm. right? There's like ways in which like the different cutoffs and caps and things like that for government subsidies and support the ways that they don't um, actually align to incentivate people incentivize people to the behavior that would actually move them out of poverty. Mm -hmm. So there's some systemic stuff happening there, which is pretty tangled to sort out. And then there's also a mindset, right? There are, there's a systemic issues that happen that can, um, make it very difficult for people to get out of poverty. But there's also a mindset that goes alongside of poverty, right? There's a way that people are thinking. um, And it's often a a very defensive way of thinking because they're in survival mode. So in that anecdote you shared, people are thinking about what they will lose if they move ahead, right? Well, I can't can't lose that. I can't lose that. I can't lose that. Mm. Instead of thinking about what they're going to gain by getting that control or increasing their their wealth, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Uh. Yeah. It's also a world that they can't even imagine. They've probably, you know, poverty tends to be generational. They probably grew up that way. And so that's their only experience. And that in a way is more comfortable for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it's, you know, it's generational because how we talk a lot in our work about our relationship to money. And I know you shared before we hopped on here, how you have this theory that our childhood experiences, you know, really um, influence our adult experiences. And so that relationship to money, it's largely inherited. Mm -hmm. It's how we were raised and what we were taught. And because money is not something that's taught in schools and because it's something that is, taboo to talk about like it's impolite to talk about money and a lot of people hold shame that makes it even harder to talk about money so it's very difficult to um, bring light to the issues and for for women in particular one of the ways that we really learn best is from each other right like we are so quick to share about uh, the fight that we've had with our spouse and get advice from our friends on what we should do. And that's a way that we naturally share and connect and learn. And when it comes to money, nobody's talking, right? Right. So we're all trying to just figure this out um, on our own, which is just, it's, it's hard. It's very hard to do it on your own uh, because this financial education is, is not, it's not going to like come interrupt you. You know, nobody else cares about your finances except for you. Right. And so it's something that's just far too easy to leave on the back burner uh, until it gets so painful that you're like, okay, I should do something. Yeah. And for yourselves, did you have uh, an aha moment about your mindset or that all of a sudden you said, oh, I've got to do it different or I need to step up or, oh, here's the thing. Um, anything like that? Uh, yeah, for myself, I uh, t- kind of two. One, I realized that if I didn't change something, I was going to mess up my marriage. And this is someone I'm deeply in love with, and you know, like this is my 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 person. So I knew the stakes were very high. That it like I need to figure this out because it's impacting something I care deeply about. And I also, I did some, you know, mindset and reflection work. And I realized that I had this belief that making more money 
was going to be dangerous Mm -hmm. because it was going to make me not like the rest of my family. And I was really scared of losing love and losing connection. Like even now I can feel that emotion and that fear. And um, it's something that I think I like my, my relationship to money is something that I will probably always be working on because I really like money. I like making a lot of money. I like giving a lot of money away. So I'm like always interested in climbing higher on the mountain. And um, you know, those, those beliefs and those patterns, there's something that that's there to be transformed and healed over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I think that's true that our relationships to money is it's never something that's done. We are always working on it. There are always going to be things that come up from the past. So yes, there are moments I've had moments where it was like, okay, I need to actually turn the heat on when I'm cold, even though it's going to cost money. (laughs) That was like a real epiphany I had (laughs) recently of how can I use my money to enhance my life? Uh, But it's, you know, I have to stay present to that and remind myself of it regularly. We have something in our program. We have our members create money personas. So there's who you've been with money and then there's who you want to be with money going forward. And we give them a name and we write about them. And that's who we try to channel in these moments of financial decisions or financial challenge as you channel your new money persona. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we are, we're at the fast five. Um, I could talk for like 10 more hours because I'm, I'm just loving this conversation. <laughs> we'll come back. We'll okay, come back. good, good, good. We, to be continued because I think this is so important. And I, I also am a big supporter and proponent of women's empowerment and um, like evening the gap. You know, um, so uh, that feels so important. Um, Now, I know on this first, uh, when I asked this first question, I realize it's gender based. So don't hate me because I'm trying, it's, it's playful, but I'm aware that it's gender based. So this will be for Brit. Um, Shoes, massage, or nail salon? Massage. All right. And Lorianne, handbags, dining out, or spa day? <laughs> Maybe dining out. All right, you can have all three. You can have all. You can have it all. You can have it all. Last purchase you return to a store or online? An iPhone case that wasn't the right color. <laughs> I bought a under the desk bicycle that didn't work out. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, when you go to work, do you bring your lunch or buy it? Um, this has been a shift for me. I've, well, we both work from home. Yeah, so I know. I, Pandemic sort of changes everything. I have regularly cooked lunch, uh, but recently I've been going out to lunch and it is life-changing to walk to the grocery store and get whatever I want and walk back to the office. Just that break in the day has meant a lot to me. That's awesome. Um, what do you secretly spend money on that you don't want anybody to know about? Ooh. Hmm. I buy really nice body oil. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think I feel, um, it's not anything in particular, but if I buy something that I end up not really using, Mm -hmm. that's when I feel like shame about the Mm -hmm. purchase. Like, Oh, I bought this and like, I barely use it. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, are you saving as much as you had hoped? Yes. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I had clear hopes back then <laughs> on what I wanted to save, but I am now. Yeah, I'd say I'm spending too. I'm saving too much, and I should be spending more. It's always my challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to find the happy balance because uh, uh, you know I used to say I was cheap. Now I say I'm frugal because that feels nicer. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I know there are certain things. It's like, oh my god, I will, I will finag- You know, just worry about two bucks on some stupid thing that I can make yeah. in five minutes, but it's like, no, it's the principle. Um, yeah. I just get locked in yeah, that. There's so much freedom in letting that go. Yeah. It's I'm actively working on it, but <laughs> the piece that comes with like, yeah, the other day I dropped $10 while I was out for a walk and I was like, normally I would be freaking out right now, but instead I hope that someone finds that and it makes their day. Yeah. And that shift, it feels so much different in my body. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, all right, we're at the M&M moment, our sweet spot. Um, can you each give the listeners a practical financial tip or a piece of financial wisdom they can take with them? I sure can. So wealth is built through the small daily decisions that we make each day. And when you're making those decisions about your money, ask yourself, is this decision going to make life harder or easier for future me. Mm. Because when present you is taking care of future you, wealth accumulates. Things get better over time. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Such a good one. And I'll just add in a super practical financial tip rather than a mindset thing, um, which is to look at your retirement investments. So anyone who has a 401k or a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA you might not know how that's invested. And sometimes it's through your employer and you don't have a lot of options. But this is one thing that can give you thousands of money down the line, which is that if you are under the age of 35 or even 40, make sure that that money is invested in 90% stocks. That's a, a generalization, but something, a really high percentage of stocks rather than bonds. What I see over and over again is these 25-year-olds who have 50% of their investments in bonds and they're wondering why their money isn't growing. Right. So take a look at that. It can save you thousands of dollars. Awesome. Both great pieces of wisdom. Um, So I know we're coming to the end here. I just want to recap a couple of things because I think it's just really important to rename it. Um, you know, one of the things I'm really hearing you say is that anybody can have a great relationship with money. Uh, there's a little work to be done. Um, we have to be aware of the systemic piece as well as the mindset piece. Um, but that we don't really have to do it alone. We can mm-hmm. do it with support and with other people around us makes it so much, uh, more fun and, uh, less shaming, I think. Um, because I think there are so many people that do feel alone in, in their financial, uh, choices, um, that they can't seem to get out of. And, um, I, I, I'm just really hearing the intentionality of what you're doing and the consciousness of, of really trying to help people do things with intention and, and do things with purpose and things that also serve our future self. Um, cause what we do now certainly impacts that and that. That Okay, the deck has been slightly stacked against, but that doesn't mean that people who identify as women can't rise up and win the game. Yeah, it, it actually means it's even more important to take this area of your life on. Yeah. Because it is, the deck is stacked. And so, you know, you, 
we as women for ourselves and our families need to really take control of this area of our life. And it's something that we are very good at doing yeah. once we get started. Yeah. So women get inspired and and, <laughs> and find the Dow Jane's folks. Uh, where can people find you online and social media? DowJanes.com is our website. And uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram under Dow Jane's. Yes, that's D-O-W-J-A-N-E-S dot com. And I, I just want to say to the listeners that there isn't a certain amount. To, people don't have to have $100,000 to come to you. Um, no. This is your, your, well, your window of welcome is wide. You could be living paycheck to paycheck and we want to help you. <laughs> and the baby agrees. <laughs> yeah. Cooper is on board. <laughs> yeah. I just really want to, again, encourage people to reach out because it's, it's a scary thing. And when you have people that understand and can have compassion and hold the space without judgment or shame, it's just so much easier to like move towards what you want. So I just, yeah, I really want to want to put that out there and we will make sure that everybody gets that information and push it out. I just want to say also, uh, please don't forget to share the love. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. You can listen and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player or visit podchaser.com slash money you should ask. If you prefer to watch our episodes, you can head over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. For more financial tools, virtual workshops, or to simply understand more about your money nerve, visit themoneynerve.com. Britt, Lorianne, Dow Janes, Thank you so much. It's just been so awesome. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your insight with the listeners. Thank you. It's so great to meet you. So Thank you for having you. us. Absolutely. Absolutely. 